Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Thank you to Naomi Rose, who just signed up as a supporter through Anchor. I am so grateful for your support. Sharing the podcast with fellow teaching artists, leaving a review, or sending me feedback are also wonderful ways to support for free. You can reach me at teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast. There are also a few ways to support financially, which really helps me keep this going. I've been hiring an editor for more episodes lately as my time is super tight between teaching, art making, parenting, curating, and a few freelance gigs. Ah, if you love the podcast and are able to chip in to keep it going, you can head to anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support, or just click the link in the show notes. There, you can contribute $1, 5 or $10 per month, and I would so appreciate your support. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. Our featured artist this week is Kiki Aranita. Kiki is a fiber artist based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with a scholarly background in classical literature and comparative literature, and a previous career teaching Greek mythology and ancient Greek language. She can't help but see the world through the lenses of myth, often malleable at the hands of many ancient authors. As a classicist, her research focused on epic poetry and the reception of classical epic in Renaissance Italian epic poetry. She primarily works with scrap yarn sourced from neighborhood buy-nothing groups, grandmothers gone to heaven, and knitters who quit. She crochets freehand, treating yarn and string as sculptural components. Now a chef and restaurateur by trade, she also incorporates found kitchen objects into some of her works, and create soft, fuzzy versions of beloved childhood snacks. Oh, I love all those connections in her work. Head over to our blog to see some images of her work and read her statement at teachingartistpodcast.com slash featured artists. And if you would like to be featured, you can submit work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Kieran Dutcher had such great advice to share about seasons in your career, writing children's books, and shifting to teaching online. I loved how she talked about not fitting everything in and reprioritizing as you go. It can be so easy to beat ourselves up for not accomplishing enough, so it's helpful to hear reinforcement for giving yourself more flexibility. I also always appreciate hearing from parents who are farther along the parenthood journey than I am. 
The common thread I hear is to give yourself grace and recognize that there will be times when parenting leaves little room for anything else, but that will change. It was wonderful to hear about her artwork and the way she creates texture in a variety of media. Kieran also talked about the shift from teaching children to teaching adult artists at NIAD and how inspiring both are in different ways. A third-generation Oakland native, Kieran earned a BFA at California College of Arts and Crafts and later an MA in Art Education at San Francisco State. She worked as a graphic artist, taught art to children for over 20 years, and had children of her own along the way. All of this plays a part in the artwork she creates today. She currently teaches part-time at NIAD Art Center, a center for adults with disabilities in Richmond, and offers workshops online and in person. Her work is influenced by nature, kids' art, folk art, and color. The state of the world has influenced her most recent work. Nature, kindness, and social justice are issues that surface in her work. She paints mostly in gouache resist, but enjoys printmaking, quilting, and embroidery. Publications of her illustration work include Chinese and English nursery rhymes, Share and Sing in Two Languages, and Spider's Christmas Gift from Highlights Magazine, December 2020, Uppercase Magazine, and Edible East Bay. Her paintings grace the walls of New Sutter Hospital and Kaiser Spaces in San Francisco and Petaluma, and on TV in the Council of Dads on NBC. Look for the latter reaching up into the sky. She is currently working on a series of picture books about women artists. She's also teaching workshops and selling her line of greeting cards, prints, and hand-printed tea towels in seven Bay Area galleries and shops. Let's hear from Kieran. So I am here with Kieran Dutcher, and I am really excited to hear about all of your experiences. I was just looking at your bio, and you've done so much. So we'll get into all of it, but I want to start just with some background. How did you get into teaching and then also art making? Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I've been around for a long time. I (laughs) grew up in Oakland, third generation Oakland native. And with my grandparents, one set of grandparents were literally around the corner from me growing up, which is pretty unusual. And then I my other grandparents were less than a mile away. Wow. And mostly my mom's family really were a family of makers. The women were all women who sewed and made quilts and did knitting. And Mm. my mom talks about my grandma making soap in the backyard with lye during the depression. Like we, Mm -hmm. everyone just made stuff. Yeah. So I grew up in that kind of a family. My dad was an architect Mm -hmm. who worked for big firms for a while. And then when I was about seven or eight, went out on his own and had his own business in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And my mom was a homemaker, but also a maker. She baked all her bread. She sewed clothes for us. She made quilts. She designed projects for Sunset Magazine for a while my dad designed a local cheese and wine shop and she ended up baking bread for them for a year or so. So she was always making something. Everybody was making something. And so I didn't know anything different than that. Mm. When I went to college, I went to UC Davis for two years, started as a French major because I loved, was enamored with France, even though I'd never been there. Mm. And then decided to transfer into the design department. And that was where I felt 
really at home. But then I transferred after two years because there just weren't enough classes to take. And I transferred to California College of Arts and Crafts, now called California College of the Arts, which is now in San Francisco, and took a lot of different classes there, but ended up in the graphic design department, but still would take classes in printmaking and textiles and drawing and painting and wanted to do everything. I never really found a mentor there. It was in the days of these male graphic designers who were working in the business world and they were very much always telling us we should be like them and wear a business suit Mm -hmm. and drive a fancy car and work in this. I just knew that's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But all during that time in college and in high school, I in the summer would work at summer camps with kids. When I was at CCAC, there was an elementary school across the street. I ended up working there for a while. I was always drawn to working with kids wherever I was. So I graduated and worked in a few different design studios in San Francisco and didn't love it. So decided to go back to school and get a teaching credential at SF State. And that was where I felt I really found my people Mm. and did some student teaching in Berkeley at a public school called Berkeley Arts Magnet. And I loved it. And this was an arts magnet school. So all the kids had some kind of art there every Mm -hmm. day. And then they hired me. So the next year I was teaching kindergarten and then took that group of kids up to first grade. And while I was there, I developed a weekly arts project class for the first through third grade kids Mm -hmm. that I got recruited teachers for. And I taught workshops. I think I taught weaving and stitchery or something like that. And then I moved up to fourth grade where I taught visual art. I taught regular, you know, elementary curriculum in the morning and then visual art in the afternoon. Mm. And really had no idea what I was doing at that point as far as teaching (laughs) art, but I knew that I loved it. And then I had, in that time, I had my two kids and wanted to work less while I was raising my babies. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped working there, but I was teaching in summer camps in the summer, teaching drawing and painting workshops. And through that, I got a job just teaching art at a private school in Oakland, Bentley School. And I taught art there for three years to fourth through eighth grade, no, sixth through eighth grade kids, and then also some after-school classes to kindergarten through third graders. And I just loved it. And that was where I was like, okay, this is really what I want to do. And there were two other art teachers there. So I had camaraderie with other people, and I'm still good friends with those people. And that was when things really started to click for me, that this is what I love doing. And my curriculum, I could start developing what I wanted to teach and just learning so much. And I taught there for three years. And then that school decided to start a high school. And so they were cutting back. And I was one of the last teachers hired. So they got rid of my Mm -hmm. position. Yeah. I was looking around for work and found another teaching job, teaching art to middle school kids at a private school in Berkeley called Black Pine Circle School. And that was teaching like three days a week. I did that for 20 years. Wow. And that was the perfect job to have while raising my kids Mm -hmm. and trying to fit in some art making of my own. And it was great. It was a great school. I Things I loved about it. It was a kind of funky place. I was allowed, they left me alone and I was allowed to do whatever I wanted curriculum wise, which I loved because I didn't decide what I thought was important for the kids to know. They had a great budget for art supplies. I had my own room. 
So it was great. Oh, I did sh- actually, no, I take that back. I did share a room with another teacher for a while. And then eventually the school got larger. They moved me to a different room, which was actually better because it had doors out to the garden, which is great. Mm-hmm. So we could work outside sometimes. Yeah. And I shared the room with the lower school art teacher who taught K through fourth grade. And I did fifth, I did fifth through eighth for a while and then gradually mm-hmm. sixth through eighth. And then let's see about <clears throat> six, seven years ago, the middle school where I was teaching doubled in size. So my job doubled in size. My salary didn't double in size, but my oh, job. Did. Of course not. <laughs> and I did that for about five years and it was so hard. I was really doing the work of two people. It was just way too much. Mm-hmm. The man who is now my husband said, why are you doing this? You want to be in your studio. Quit your job. We'll figure it out. I'll pay the rent mm-hmm. for a while. And uh, you can make art and decide what you want to do next. So mm-hmm. I'm on year three now. So I left my full-time teaching job three years ago. And about a year after that, I was overjoyed and terrified at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, not gonna ha- I don't, I'm not gonna have this regular income. What am I gonna do? So it was a weird balance of being thrilled to get up and decide what I wanted to do and not have to be somewhere at 7.30 every morning. But then it was all on me to make the money. About a year into that, I realized I was really lonely and I loved teaching and I missed it. I started looking around and I found the job that I have now which is teaching at an art center in Richmond called NIAD, N-I-A-D, which stands for Nurturing Independence Through Artistic Development. Mm-hmm. It's one of three art centers in, in the Bay Area. There's one in Oakland called Creative Growth, one in San Francisco called Creativity Explored. They were all started by the same couple as art centers for developmentally disabled adults. Mm-hmm. So I work there two days a week, which is fascinating and so different from all the other teaching that I've done. Mm-hmm. And since the pandemic, it's all been online, Ooh. which is a whole other world, as right. our teacher knows. <laughs> that's what we're all doing now. <sighs> yeah. So it's been a, a crazy long journey. Yeah. Along the way, what I have always wanted to do since I was a kid was write and illustrate books for kids. My first book came out in 2010, which I worked on with a friend of mine. It's a bilingual book of nursery rhymes in Chinese and English. It's still out there. Then I had a long break. And this past December, Highlights Magazine published a story that I wrote. And now I'm working on biographies for kids about women artists, because that was Uh, always something that was really difficult to find because mm -hmm. there was pretty much not much out there. That's incredible. You'll have to keep me apprised, especially because I want all of those for my daughter. There's more being published now, Mm -hmm. um, even just in the last few years, but it still seems incredibly slow to me. I don't know why that is, but we have, there's a great one and I'm blanking on the title, but there's a great one about Ruth Asawa that just came out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yes. we have and is just beautiful. Yes, exactly. But I always want more. <laughs> there needs to be more. If mm-hmm. you go to the library and you look at books for kids about George O'Keefe, there's six or seven at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to grad school and in 2013, I earned a master's in education with an emphasis on art. 
at San mm-hmm. Francisco State. They don't have a master's in art education. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. So I created it with mm-hmm. the, a person in the art, a professor in the art department was really good friends with a professor in the education department. They were great people. And they, I think they're both retired now, but they helped me develop the master's degree that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And my thesis was I wrote five biographies, each about a different woman artist. Oh, awesome. And then pretty quickly, I started submitting those mm-hmm. to editors and agents, although I had to change them a lot because what the education world wants is really different from what the publishing world wants, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had an agent for a while, but she never sold any of my books. So we parted ways about a year ago. So I'm seeking an agent again at this point. I feel like it might be interesting, especially if anybody listening is has that dream of writing children's books. If you're willing to share any of the details, I wouldn't even know where to begin. How do you get an agent? How do you, what is the difference between sort of academic and publishing? Academic writing, you're writing for adults. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally different audience than writing for kids. So um, writing for kids, in both you're telling a story, but in Mm -hmm. academic writing, they want more facts and Mm -hmm. (laughs) big words. (laughs) And writing for kids is poetry. So it's totally different. And poetry and storytelling are what drive it. Mm -hmm. And you always have to think about why would a kid want to read this? Yeah. So it's very different. There's an organization called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. SCBWI is the acronym. I've been a member for probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, and that's a great organization. And they have workshops and conferences and tons of resources on their website. And you can find a critique group to join. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you okay. learn a lot and you have to expect a lot of rejection. <laughs> Get used right. to that. Yeah. Kind of anything in the arts, <laughs> you've got to expect a lot of rejection. Yes, I know. I was going <laughs> over the questions that you sent me yesterday. Mm-hmm. I was cutting my hair and I, I gave the list to my husband and I said, okay, let's practice here. Ask me these questions. <laughs> and he was just cracking up at, at one of your questions was about art making. Are there, I can't remember, I can't, I'm looking at the list now and I can't find it, but are there barrier? Oh, have there been any barriers you've had to overcome in your art career? And he just started laughing <laughs> and, and blurted out, there's nothing but barriers. Right. That's exactly, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. There are nothing but barriers. And so you have to develop a tough skin and mm-hmm. really, really, really look at, is this what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Because it's really hard to face yeah. rejection all the time. That's true of all art making. Rejection and criticism is what goes yeah, I with. feel like we're practicing, to make it a metaphor, you're practicing jumping higher, like leaping over those barriers, but then also smashing into them and like handling those bruises. I feel like that is what's happening right now, uh, especially for women in our Mm -hmm. country. There's so much that's been so awful about the last, I don't know how many, six years or so, Mm -hmm. but there's really amazing things happening too. Definitely. And it helps to focus there. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm an optimist, so I like to look at the look at it from the glass half full perspective for sure. Yeah. I'd also love to hear more about like you mentioned how shifting to teaching at NIAD with adults it was so different from teaching kids. And I'd love to hear more about that. What are the biggest kind of differences you've seen and how has that transition been? That's really interesting. And I've learned so much from these artists. So mm-hmm. 
Here's the setup. When we were in the studio, in the physical studio, NIAD is a place in Richmond, about 60 to 70 artists come every week, but they don't all come every day. Mm-hmm. And I work there two days a week. So the studio is a very large room, I don't know square footage, that has mm-hmm. a ceramics area, a printmaking area with printing presses. There's a mixed media area. I worked in the textiles area, work, not worked. And then there's a drawing and painting area. At NIAD, the artists sign up for which area they'd like to work in for three or four months, and then Mm. shift around three or four times a year so they can have a chance to work in different media. So I would have artists that worked with me all day long. So I might have between seven and 10 artists in my part of the studio, and I'm the facilitator there. Mm. They all have boxes on shelves where they keep their ongoing work. And so they I would get their work out for them and set them up. They're there all day for about six Mm -hmm. hours with breaks in the morning and a lunch break. So I'm helping them. I'm facilitating them with their work. And it's very one-on-one. I may suggest materials for an artist or try a different technique, but I'm not teaching a class. And there's not the rush of, oh gosh, I have these kids for an hour and I've got 20 more coming in and I got to clean up in 10 minutes. So it's a very different pace. And it took me a while to just slow down into that pace. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest change for me. And then these are all adults that I'm working with who all have their own ideas about what they want to do with their projects. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm not as much of a teacher as a facilitator, a guide on the side. Mm-hmm. So it's really different. Their work is incredibly expressive and just amazing. So I've learned a lot of different things about myself as an artist from Mm -hmm. them, which is very different. But also I've learned a ton from all the kids that I've taught, but it's just, it's in a whole different realm, I think. I'm not Mm -hmm. quite even sure how to put it into words. The other thing about NIAD is it has, as a part of the building, is it has a very large gallery Mm -hmm. and there's shows that are going up all the time. And some of our artists have representation in galleries in New York. One of our artists last year got, was the first time a disabled artist got work into the Whitney Biennale, which was amazing. And then he he was in a show at SF MoMA. So that was like so exciting to see that happen for some of our artists. And then the artists, when their work is sold, the artists get 50% of the price of whatever's sold. And then the NIAD studio gets the rest. Mm-hmm. So that's ongoing all the time, which is a really interesting world that I knew nothing really about as a teacher. So that's been interesting to experience all of that. Yeah. And then have you also been like showing and selling your own work in the gallery yeah. world? Yeah. Since I quit my full-time teaching job three years ago, I, I do illustrations and mm-hmm. I paint mostly in gouache resist, although I also mm-hmm. use acrylic ink. And I'm just playing around with watercolors as well. Mm-hmm. I have greeting cards printed with my illustrations on them. And I sell those online. I have an Etsy shop online. My work is in, I can't remember now if it's six or seven stores in the Bay Area and a couple of galleries. Nice. So that's going on all the time. And then I also do printmaking and I have my work printed on textiles and sell these block printed tea towels. And mm-hmm. also maybe a year and a half ago, a friend of mine connected me with an art rep that puts art in institutional settings like doctor's ah. offices and hospitals. Yeah. And 
big hospital in San Francisco was remodeling and through Sutter Health, and it's CH2M, and I forget what that stands for, but it's a big hospital in the city. And they, the pediatric floor now has prints of 18 of my paintings in the rooms that the kids go to when they're going to see the doctor. And that was really exciting to have that happen. That's amazing. That was, I had that, I saw that you had a few pieces in hospital collections, and that was a question I wanted to hear more about. It was really an interesting process. So they, I had to get really high resolution scans of my work. A lot of my illustrations are only like eight by 10 inches or maybe a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. I got super high resolution scans and then they printed them on glass for this one particular hospital. They're backlit and they look and they printed them like three by four feet. So they're really big. Mm -hmm. I was really anxious to see how they would turn out because I was afraid they would look not so great being blown up so much larger than the original, but they look fantastic. Uh, Just glow. Anyway, mm -hmm. that was really fun. That Sutter Hospital in San Francisco, a couple of Kaiser hospitals, one in Santa Rosa Mm -hmm. and one Sonoma, I think, and some doctor's offices. They all have my work in some version. It's not the originals. They're printed on on glass or on wood. There's a lot of new techniques, printing techniques that are happening now, which is really fascinating. That sounds really cool, just to be able to blow it up larger and have larger than life and then the glow. I can imagine that on glass. Yeah, yeah, really fun. Oh, and I had a piece this last summer that was in a TV show. I bought a piece through my Etsy shop, contacted me that she wanted a piece, a print of one of my paintings, but she wanted it larger. So I had a print made and FedEx to her overnight for this shoot for this TV series. And that was exciting to watch the show. It was called Council of Dads. Unfortunately, it only lasted one season, but my piece was in one of the kids' bedrooms on on the set. Oh, so cool. And was that the set designer just found you on Etsy? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. That was a, a little exciting kismet yeah. thing that happened. That's incredible. And then thinking more about teaching, when you were teaching, you did elementary school and then middle school, and you talked about having that freedom to design your own curricula and really choose what you wanted to share with the students. What did that look like for you? What were your sort of priorities there? Such a good question. So my priorities were, so I taught at this particular school, actually all the school at Black Pine Circle. I'll talk about that one because I taught there the mm-hmm. longest. I taught everyone in the school. Mm-hmm. So art was not an elective. Yeah. So I had such a wide range of abilities and interests walking in the door. My initial goal was to hook the kids in to making. Mm. And so I never started with drawing and painting because that was too intimidating for a lot of kids. Mm. It's so sad how people pick this up so early until kids are about, I don't know, eight All kids say that they are artists. Everybody Mm -hmm. believes they're an artist and they love to draw. And then that gradually shuts down. I had to find a way to hook kids in to believing that they can make art. And it's not just drawing. There's Mm -hmm. all kinds of skills involved in art making. And drawing is one skill or tool that you have for making art, but it's certainly not the only one. Mm -hmm. I like to think that I would try to trick them by doing projects that were not using drawing. Then eventually they would get hooked into, wow, this is actually really fun and I can do this. So the fall, I would often be doing paper sculpture and Mm -hmm. textiles kind of stuff like weaving and things 
where the kids are using their hands and I can assess them and see what kind of spatial awareness do they have? What are their fine motor skills like? And so then I would know who's going to need more help or how am I going to approach this project with certain kids? Mm -hmm. Then beyond that, once I got them into this is what the studio is like here and everybody is a maker and everybody can Mm -hmm. do things and making mistakes is not a problem. It's just how you learn. Mm -hmm. Then we could really get going and do all kinds of complicated projects, which is what I always (laughs) tend to like really complicated things. But (laughs) my goal at that point was to do expose the kids to as many types of art and as many Mm -hmm. types of media as I could cram into their weekly art classes in a year. The end of eighth grade, they would have had a lot of experience and exposure so then they could start designing their own projects Mm -hmm. and that was really fun to see what they would come up with so it started as more like less choice in there as they're developing just how to use the materials and how different learning different techniques and then moves towards more choice as they exactly Exactly. that makes sense and then what my favorite one of my favorite projects um in sixth grade i i created what I called the artist project where I would give the kids this large two or three page list of artists mm-hmm. in history. And they had to choose an artist to research, do a piece mm-hmm. in the style of that artist, and then write a mini biography, the biography of that artist, and then present it to the class. Mm-hmm. So for about a month, the sixth graders were doing all the teaching. Yeah. And by the end of my time there, as technology developed, the kids would create PowerPoints. Sometimes they would dress up as the artist. They got extra credit if they did that. And it was just so much fun because then the kids knew that artist so well, they would always recognize their work for the rest of their lives. That was super exciting. That was a big part of how my desire to write biographies of women artists came from was because I couldn't find information about women artists that Mm. was accessible to kids. Yeah. And those including women and then also all of the other underrepresented artists. Exactly. Artists of color, artists from different countries, artists not from the Western world and the canon of European Mm. art history. All of that was super important to me to be able to include so the kids could see so many different ways of being and making art. And that it wasn't just this sort of narrow vision, the what, like you said, the Western canon of art history. And then how did you, I like, I love that idea of having the kids become the teachers within that. Was there like facilitation and making sure that there's enough context around the work? Oh yeah. There were steps all along the way that they had to check in with me and make sure they had an outline. I helped them with their writing. Oh yeah, there was a lot of checks and balances along the way to (laughs) help them be successful. That's such a nice way of turning it over to them in some ways as you're helping them through that process. I do feel like that when you become the teacher, you have to learn the, the subject matter so much more deeply. So they do internalize it more And there's also something to be said for hearing from your peers as well. That gives a different way of learning than if you hear the same material from your teacher. Oh, yeah. They're a way better audience for each other than they are for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Also within that, we've touched on this idea of diversifying curricula, but going beyond that idea of just like diversity and also making sure that there's 
real context and even just equity in the classroom. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that idea of, it sounds like you were really empowering students and giving them voice in the classroom. Thank you. Yeah, that ha- diversity and inclusion has always been a really important thing to me as a person. And so I tried to incorporate that into my teaching. And that meant I always really had to look to find resources. They weren't always easily available. More and more now, which is great. But that wasn't always the case, especially when I started teaching. One thing I want to bring up, because I haven't mentioned this, is that mm-hmm. I was a member of the National Art Education Association and the mm-hmm. California Division along the way and would go every, I think I went several times, three times maybe to the big conference that they had. Mm-hmm. Every year. But along the way, a bunch of us art teachers in the Bay Area would get together once or twice mm-hmm. a year. So these are all art teachers at public, private schools, all ages. And mm-hmm. we would have a one day workshop or conference And those were so fantastic. I'm not sure if they're still happening, but they Mm -hmm. were so great because here were all these teachers that were teaching the same subject, getting together and sharing resources and materials Mm -hmm. and talking curriculum. It was great. We would go meet at a different school each year and then meet in the art room. And so we'd get to see how different teachers set up their studios. Mm -hmm. It was just a super rich learning experience for me as a teacher was and an artist was just fantastic yeah at least 10 or 15 years we did that every year it was great that's amazing I hear it all the time this idea of being on an island as an art teacher especially if you're the only art teacher at your school or maybe there's one or two others Yeah, that is so wonderful to get together with others in the field. And like you said, see the different spaces and how they set up their studios and their classrooms. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, Although now I'm working mm -hmm. in a studio where everyone is an artist. Yes. um, Because that's part of NIAD's premise is that Mm -hmm. all the people that are are working there are working artists with a working art practice. Mm -hmm. So that's been a really interesting, great experience for me. Yeah. And how has that, like you mentioned that it's so different now being online. How is that working online? Have they sent materials to the artists or how do they handle that? How do we do that? Yeah, it took us a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the end of March, we were online. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard at first for everybody to learn how to work Zoom. And then having our artists not be there with us, some artists are living in group homes. Some artists are living with their family. Some artists have more resources or people that will help them. Some have very little. So that's been a challenge, although it's grown. And I would, at least half of our artists are online with us every week. We've made some changes along the way. Now I teach two workshops on my two days that I'm there. I, I really miss being able to lean over and help somebody thread their needle or whatever. Uh, At the same time, there's other things that we have online that we didn't have in Mm -hmm. real life. Like now I show YouTube videos all the time and we can look at art all over the world and so much more easily. And that is really cool, but it is, it's not the same as being in person for sure. Right. One thing that's happened is I learned to demonstrate with 
I have my computer in front of me and then I have my iPad on a stand that looks down on my table so I can demonstrate something. Mm-hmm. So I have mastered that. And so now I'm teaching in other realms online because I've learned how to do this. So that's been a great uh, skill for me to pick up. And the other thing is that I now have a YouTube channel. I still laugh every time I say that because I never <laughs> thought in a million years I would do that. And I think there's about 25 videos on there of me demonstrating a particular technique or project. Mm-hmm. It's public for anybody to see. I made them for That's our great. nine artists. So after I've done a project with them, if they can't remember a step or they want to look at it again, they could go to the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But I decided to make it public so anyone who's at home can learn some new techniques. Uh, that's so great. And that yeah. you know, learning how to film and edit and add titles and music and Oof. all of that stuff. It was a steep learning curve, but it now it's actually fun. I like doing it, making these little videos. It's like another creative outlet. Exactly. Exactly. I love that, that there's been a lot of challenges, but focusing on the positive that's come out of this. I love too, this idea that now you have these skills that have allowed you to create the YouTube channel and then also offer your classes like worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been really fun. Amazing. And would you have any tips or any sort of resources that have been really helpful? Was there anything that helped you with that steep learning curve? Learning when it gets, I'm really frustrated to walk away. Mm-hmm. Just like they say about your computer, shut it down, unplug it for a while, <laughs> walk oh. away, reboot, try again, Google it to figure out how to do the thing you want to do. And eventually you'll figure it out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. The not giving up, but taking a break is really, that's something I need to keep reminding myself. Totally. I like that. Instead of yelling at your computer, just, oh, I okay, like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So here's an example. My husband gave me an iPad for my birthday last year because I really wanted to learn Procreate, the drawing mm-hmm. app that I see so many illustrators and artists using. And I've done some classes online and I've just been struggling and parts of it aren't working. And Uh, last week, one of my former students offered, we were just messaging through Instagram, I think. And she said, I saw she was drawing and procreate. And I said, I really want, I'm struggling to learn that. And she said, I'll give you a lesson. So we had a Zoom uh, meeting last week and she gave me a lesson and we figured out that my app wasn't working. So I had to delete uh, it and then re- download it. And now it works great for a whole year. And it hadn't occurred to me to do that. But isn't that sort of gratifying being like, I wasn't losing it. It it was the yeah. app. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm not right. That I can't learn this. There's not uh, something wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. That was great. Yeah. And then having one of my former students be my teacher was. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, so wonderful. Oh, it was great. Amazing. listeners, I'm jumping in here because I have an ask of you. If you are enjoying the show, I would so appreciate your support. I'm humbled and grateful for all the interest in this show over the past several months and for the messages I've received letting me know that this podcast has resonated with you 
It has been so inspiring to hear from you. Thank you. This podcast does take time, effort, and resources to share with you every week. And I want to, I plan to keep it going and stay focused on highlighting and inspiring artists who teach while also continuing to grow this community and dreaming up additional ways to help you. One way to accomplish this is through direct listener support. Your support would really help the show and community grow. So I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take less than 60 seconds. It's at anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support. You can contribute one, five, or $10 per month. If Teaching Artist Podcast is a part of your week and you love what we're doing, please consider visiting anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support, or just clicking the link in the show notes and supporting us in any way that you can today. We've talked a lot about your work, but would you want to describe your artwork for somebody who hasn't seen it? Sure. My work is very colorful. I mentioned earlier, most of my paintings are in gouache resist, gouache mm-hmm. is pink watercolor, and it looks a lot like a print because a lot of it has a black outline, and mm-hmm. I just love the look of it, and very colorful, a lot of work around nature and social justice work mm-hmm. as well. I love folk art and <laughs> my yeah. husband said, well, your work here and it's all about love. And I said, love for the yes. world, the planet, life. That's what it's about. Uh, really. Beautiful. And are those, are the black lines, are those painted then? Or is it so, drawn with yeah, something? So, I'll describe it. so how gouache resistance yeah. works is I figure out my illustration or my painting, usually on tracing paper, and then transfer just with pencil a rough Mm -hmm. outline onto my heavy watercolor paper. And Mm -hmm. then I paint with gouache, really thick gouache. Mm -hmm. And I leave areas white, Mm -hmm. an outline around a plant, for example. Mm -hmm. And then when it's all dry, and I can do layers of it. And when it's all dry and there's areas of white, then I paint over the entire painting with India ink. Mm. And wherever I've left it white, the ink will go and will turn black, but the gouache resists the ink, so there won't be ink wherever I've put the color. Then I let that dry, and then I put the whole thing in the sink and I blast off the ink and some of the gouache comes off in that process, and the gouache uh-huh. takes the paper. And so then there's outlines everywhere of the black, wherever I've left the white paint. So it's like yeah. a reverse printmaking thing, but then you right. only have one of that image. And then what I like to say are happy accidents that happen along the way, mm-hmm. which over the many years of trying this technique, I've learned to control a little bit, but not very much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just love the way it looks. There's so much texture in there. 
Yes, a lot of text. Uh-huh. Oh, and I just love that. Just... Although this summer I bought myself as a pandemic present, I bought myself some really nice schminky watercolors and have been playing around with those. Mm-hmm. Which I had not played with watercolors in years. And so that's been really fun to do something a lot more loose and immediate and not this labored process of washing off and waiting for things to dry and all of that. So that's been really fun to do something that's a little more immediate. And oh, then the and- thing I've been doing since the pandemic is I've been doing a lot of embroidery, Ooh. which is slow, but it's somehow feels very therapeutic right now. I'm just looking at your Instagram and seeing the embroidery. A lot of them seem to be like monochrome. Your color palette is beautiful shades of red or beautiful shades of blue. How do you come up with the color palettes? Like where does that come from? Is there meaning behind it? Just trying different things. Yeah. I love color makes me really happy. Yeah. I don't think it goes much deeper than that. (laughs) That's okay. I feel it doesn't have to have some big, deep meaning. It can just be like, I love these colors. They're beautiful. That makes me really happy. And there's something about the tactile nature of embroidery that Mm -hmm. has been very soothing to me during this crazy, stressful year that we've had. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I love looking through them and seeing. And there's something like it's connecting for me the textures in your embroidery and then also your paintings oh I hadn't thought about that but you're absolutely right that there's and the line work as well yeah. a lot of pattern I love pattern I'm just looking through now yeah, that's great. <laughs> I feel like we touched on this a little bit mm-hmm. just your time and time management I loved hearing how it shifted throughout your your life like when you had children you realized you had to cut back a little bit and have time with them at home and then shifting back to more full-time work that back and forth yeah but maybe even just now that you're teaching part-time and part-time artists like all of that how do you fit it all in what does your week look like (laughs) I don't fit it all in I don't think yeah I don't think it's possible to fit it all in Um, I'm trying to work on being okay with that which is Mm really hard. I think it's it hard for everybody. Life is a balance. And there's sometimes when you need to spend more time helping someone in your family. And there's sometimes mm-hmm. when you need to spend more time working on a project that you're super into, or you have a deadline. And there's mm-hmm. times when you need to make more money, it just flows. And it's never going to be any different than that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but how my life works right now is Monday morning, I get up and I make my calendar for the week. Or my list, I'm a list person of what I want to accomplish and highlight priorities, then I get to work. And then whatever I don't finish this week carries over to next week, and then priorities shift and change, so I'm always crossing things out. But Monday and Tuesday, I'm in my studio all day. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, I'm teaching online all day. And then Friday, I'm back in my studio. I got married two years ago to a man who is... So good at saying, don't forget to take time for yourself. Don't forget to take oh. time for exercise. You don't have to be working all the time. Come mm-hmm. in, you know, do go for a walk with me or do something. Get out of your studio for a while. And that's mm-hmm. been really good for me to remember to just stop and smell the roses and enjoy mm-hmm. life. Because otherwise I'd be working all the time on something. I feel like that too. I don't, I often don't listen, but my (laughs) husband is always, come on, like, (laughs) 
<laughs> it's family time now. It's really hard to do everything. It's, I don't it know if it's even possible. But. but I love that list making and prioritizing and then having some flexibility, letting things roll over to the next week. Some things uh, I'm overly ambitious in what I think I can accomplish in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And then things change. So mm-hmm. something that was a priority last week may not be as much of a priority or it may totally disappear from the list because I don't need mm-hmm. to do that anymore. Learning to go with it. I have a couple of just fun, like wrapping up questions. Mm-hmm. What are you curious about right now? Oh, such a good question. Yeah. I'm curious about women artists. I'm curious mm-hmm. about women artists of color. I'm curious about all the amazing anti-racist work that's going on out mm-hmm. there. That's fantastic. So I'm doing a lot of reading right now mm-hmm. and figuring out how, what I need to let go of and learn and relearn mm-hmm. myself so I can be a better artist and a better teacher and a better human. I'm also about to dive into a quilting project. I haven't done any quilt making in a while, but it's something I love. So I'm curious about that too. Oh, amazing. Okay. I have a f- just fun little question. <laughs> what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Oh, gosh, I haven't been to a restaurant in so long. <laughs> I know, me neither. I, I feel bad asking that question. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Because of my Etsy shop, which was really busy in November and December, I was selling it before the pandemic. I was selling it at craft fairs and festivals and that kind of thing. And that's all shut down, of course, so everything's mm-hmm. online. But I've been going to the post office a lot. And so when I go to the post office down the hill in Berkeley, right down the road from Chez Panisse, I will go across the street and get myself a chai latte with coconut milk. That's my treat. So that's my favorite. Yum. That sounds so good. Good for a cold day. Yes. And is there anyone that you would want to give a shout out to? Oh, my husband, Greg, of course, because he makes it all possible for me to be in my studio as much as I am right now. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. He says things to me like, you're not dreaming big enough. Oh, Love that. He's great. And then is there anything else you would want to share? Or do you have, you know, anything coming up that you'd want to let us know about? I don't really have anything coming up yet. Hopefully that will change. If yeah. You're if you're in kids book writing, join the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. If you're mm-hmm. not a member of the National Art Education Association, join that. Oh, mm-hmm. the National Museum of Women in the Arts mm-hmm. has a great database with information about women artists. I didn't mention that when I was talking about curriculum. I didn't talk a lot about that, about people of color and artists of color and stuff. There's a lot of great resources that are being developed along with the anti-racist art educators. There's a group on Facebook. It feels like even though it's been a really hard time, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the creative world. Absolutely. I feel like there's, I'm part of a couple of groups, which I love that there's a bunch of groups that you can join on Facebook that are focused on anti-racist art teaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've spoken with the, one of the episodes a while ago was with some of the women who started anti-racist art teachers. Mm. They have an incredible website with so much information. Resources are being added to it all the time. So that's yeah. really terrific. But I love, I don't think I knew that the National Museum of Women in the Arts had a database. So I'll have to go look at that. Yeah, it's really, it's great. And I will also link to 
all of these wonderful things that you've mentioned. Wonderful. And then I also want to link to you and maybe you could share where listeners can connect with you online. Thank you. So I'm most active on Instagram and it's my name, Kieran Dutcher. Follow me because I do... I've slacked off the last couple of weeks, but during a women's history month, every day I post about a different women artist and do a little mini biography and a portrait. And I've been doing it every week because people seem to really like it. I've been a little late the last few weeks, but I'll probably do one <laughs> today. And women artists all over the world. I did uh, a black woman artist every day for a month. Mm. So there's a lot of information there. Instagram is the most popular one. My YouTube channel, it's my name again. My website is kierandutcher.com. I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I will link to all if, of those. Yeah, you can join my newsletter. I send out a newsletter every month with what I'm doing, workshops, new stuff, things in my Etsy shop, what's happening in my studio. And it's only once a month, so it's not too much because I know people don't want to get more emails. I'm impressed that you keep up with that too. All of the like admin side of art making It's a lot. (laughs) I would say it's 70% business and 30% art making. And some of that fluctuates depending on what's going on. This making and trying to earn money, making art is probably the hardest thing I've ever done, I have to say. Mm -hmm. It's not the state of heart. And that ratio, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, no, there needs to be more art making. (laughs) I know we all want that. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. It's anybody, but I don't know. Yeah. I know I have this like vision of people that have quote unquote made it having all of that stuff done for them. Like they can afford to hire people to do it all. So all they have to do is like the art side, but I'm sure that's not reality. And that's also like the 1% of artists. Yeah. And it's really a struggle to get there. Last year, I actually Mm -hmm. hired, I was making my block printed tea towels one at a time by hand myself. And then I figured out that if I scanned my block prints, I could silk screen them, but Mm. I decided to farm it out and I have someone else who silk screens them for me. And that was amazing to just let go of that and delegate was great. I don't know if it'll keep going or not, but yeah. That's amazing. And I love that. That was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And I love that just figuring out, okay, if I take these couple of steps, then it'll mean less work for me. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much, Kieran. You are so welcome, Rebecca. This has been really fun. I don't often take the time to stop and reflect about what I've done, but it's a good thing to do. I should do it more often. I feel like I hear that a lot. Just having these conversations brings up so much of the history and experience and like what people have been through and what they've accomplished. And even though I'm not talking about my own history, it's always exciting to hear someone else's story and all of the advice that comes out of it is just amazing. Yeah, I bet you are getting to listen to all of these. I need to go. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, but now I want to listen to more. It is really fascinating. People's stories are amazing. So interesting. Yes. So thank you for sharing yours. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. 
And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.